When we arrived, it wasn't hard for us to spot Oliver Queen and Roy Harper battling the criminal element of Star City. All we had to do was follow the trail of arrows left in their wake and the sound of police sirens. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. So today, it is the Emerald Archer, and we are going to be looking at the work of Ed Heron, Mike Sikowski, Dave Wood, John Broom, and France Heron. Oh, and also Bob Haney. Mike Sikowski was... Did he do 119? Sikowski... Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, that's that's my mistake. Um, Sikowski was the art on a couple. Um, the the gotcha. writers are Ed Heron, Dave Wood, France Heron, John Broom, Bob Haney, and Dick Wood. Lots of people with the same last name. I think that Edward... Uh, it's France Edward Heron. Uh, so I guess he's credited under different names for a couple of them. And I wonder if Dave, Dave Wood is also both of the people who wrote under the Wood last name. Yeah, I did a, I did a Google, Google search for all the different writers because I definitely took notice of that revolving door kind of situation. Yeah. And not much came up for anybody but John Broom. So we're not dealing with... Uh, <laughs> John Broom's doing Flash and Green Lantern at the same time as this. So, I mean, we like John Broom. Um, here's the thing, though. I think this character obviously suffers from that revolving door of inconsistent writers because they don't have a lot of pages to write these stories in. It's about six pages max. And they're short, quick, pulpy, little old school Batman-esque stories. Um, mm-hmm. And... While the character is fun, the stories don't really inspire anything, and we're going to go into that in a little bit, but I, I, I think it'll be interesting to compare another character who's going through very similar story types um, and how they stack up while having a similar story format. So this is World's Finest. Uh, that's where all these stories occur in. We're going to start with World's Finest number 16, uh, March 1961. Uh, hey, we're at a circus. Remember, kids, nothing good ever happens at the circus. If you've learned one thing from this podcast, always remember that nothing good ever happens at the circus. Uh, a man impersonating a bow-shooting chimpanzee commits a bunch of crimes while dressed as said chimpanzee. Now, first of all, is he the size of a chimpanzee? It appears to be that he is the size <laughs> of a chimpanzee, whatever the size of a chimpanzee is. He has a very lifelike chimpanzee mask that fools many a person in the 1960s, which I'm also impressed by. And he's also quite the archer. If he's doing these acts as the chimpanzee and then going and committing crimes as the chimpanzee, a lot of questions that I have to ask about this specific uh, gimmick that this criminal has. But, you know, the Emerald Archer and Speedy uh, just basically apprehend him and stop him from making the the chimpanzee look bad. Because the chimpanzee is a nice uh, chimpanzee. Uh, Circus people, man. Circus people. They get a bit of a bad rap in DC Comics. They definitely do. And I really feel (laughs) someone somewhere was like, hey man, I have a really bad experience with carnies. <laughs> they're they're going to constantly be the bad guys in all of our stories. <laughs> I wonder if I Julie like the Schwartz... idea that it just like, it happened once and it has just like rippled through the uh, collective psyche of DC Comics. I wonder if it's an editorial decision like Julia Schwartz is like, everyone's got to have a mermaid girlfriend and the circus is bullshit. And it's like, Whoa, okay. <laughs> sure thing. I'll, Sure thing, Julie. Especially 
That has to be like one of those drunken Friday ramblings. Yeah, all right. Well, I guess every time we write about the circus, we're going to make it look bad. Wrangling Brothers is not going to be happy. Um, the next story that Green Lantern, or sorry, Green Arrow, I might do that a couple times. The next story that Green Arrow appears in is actually JLA number four, which we covered in our JLA coverage. It's the Doom of the Star Diamond story. Um, which is the guy going to Earth and with all the different metal boxes that are placed around the planet um, and they have to disarm them, which are these doomsday devices, and then Green Arrow shoots them all out of a giant diamond that they're imprisoned in. Hooray! Um, that is the story in which he is recruited into the JLA, by the way. So that's a, that's why that one's a significant one. Um, and it was in the back issues that we had. Uh, World's Finest, number 117, May 1961. Green Arrow and Speedy are mocked by a newspaper cartoonist who tries to get Green Arrow so pissed he will come and see him in person to complain, and they find out that the guy has actually been doing this as a way to get them to save him from being kidnapped, because the major three images of all each of these cartoons, which are basically like, these are the arrows the Green Arrow should be using, which kind of make fun of him, like goofy gag arrows, all start with the first letters S, O, and S. Which, of course, Oliver does not pick up on <laughs> initially. He's just so pissed that he goes to give this guy a piece of his mind. And he's like, oh, yeah, totally. I saw your super secret code. Now I'm here to help you. <laughs> and it like it kind of bugs me because it's in there. And it like I actually picked up on it. And I'm like, oh, this. Oh, I see the subversion you're going for. That's awesome. Before it was actually like revealed. And it kind of bugs me that it wasn't necessary for ollie to resolve the plot it was just yeah the fact that he was honked off enough to visit that it kind of all worked out but i just i have to throw this one in here i tried to pull this in an rpg once i had an npc who like was getting interviewed by one of the player characters who was trying to like make it clear that oh i need to be rescued by like tapping a cane on the first letter of every at the start of every word and it's just like look at the words and the first letter uh will explain it and no one ever picked up on it and i just want to say that in retrospect these kinds of more subtle ways of saying get me out are not the most effective <laughs> no it and is don't not. try them with your DD group <laughs> visual gags not as simple in a game made of pure imagination uh, we're gonna move uh i i just occurred to me it's been a while since we've had green arrow coverage uh the two characters we have green arrow and speedy oliver queen and uh roy harper oliver queen is the playboy who got stranded on an island and learned how to shoot arrows very well while also on said island and roy harper is the young man raised by native americans who is also a good archer and is uh green arrows partner in crime fighting there we go that's all you need to know and we'll probably touch on this a little bit more later on but those are really the only two characters in all of that are recurring at all though there is yeah. no world building yeah there is there is no supporting cast um yep. world's finest number 118 june 1961 the return of miss arrowette um in our previous coverage of green arrow we had a young woman who wanted to emulate them and be just as good as them and was in fact a pretty good archer herself but it ended up in oh silly girls leave crime fighting to the men um this situation doesn't fare much better as the arrowette um notices that the current green arrow and speedy who are out on patrol are acting very funny and she stumbles upon the fact that they are actually criminals and the cops are doing a sting operation and she kind of sort of messes that up but doesn't really it's kind of it's she doesn't make it 
not work but she also doesn't really help so she's not she's kind of a null value in the whole situation but she does end up helping green arrow and speedy the real green arrow and speedy and they're like you know what you're not half bad at this but also like leave it to us so it's kind of everyone breaks out even in the situation where they all like kind of praise her but they're also kind of dicks to her and she like doesn't screw up but also saves them so like nobody gets out of this in the positive or the negative (laughs) it's just kind of flat um world's finest number 119 August 1961, a man discovers the magic bow of Diana, the goddess, not Wonder Woman, um, and uses the fancy magic arrow to try and commit crimes and get Green Arrow off of his trail. The bow can do any number of things like make giant arrows or shoot a, shoot an arrow that flies out it like, like a heat-seeking missile, grabs money, and then brings it back to him. Um, GA and Speedy, of course stop him but when they have the uh, bow in their possession ga drops it in the ocean and i'm like all right look ollie buddy you're on the jla you know a greek adjacent hero give diana the magic bow and let her put it on paradise island it belongs with the culture that it was stolen from yeah it belongs with the amazonians if anyone you know like Mm -hmm. at least the island of magic women that you know exists (laughs) give it (laughs) give it to them that's a phrase right there (laughs) yeah i mean that's exactly what they are yeah Yeah. i'm not wrong but boy howdy just give it give it to the (laughs) give it to the half half god that you know just 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 let her have it be like hey i don't know what to do with this this probably shouldn't just be floating around she'll be like yeah okay flies it back to paradise island hey mom i found a bow and they'd be like oh that thing yeah we heard about that we'll put it in the room full of shit no one should ever touch uh, <laughs> world's finest number 120 september 1960 Wait, hmm? is is themiscura just the room of requirement i'd like to think it's the big giant warehouse at the end of uh raiders of the lost yep. ark uh, just just a big repository for for magical crap that man's world should never touch um world's finest number 120 september 1961 uh green arrow and speedy rescue their treasure hunting friends from someone who is trying to steal the treasures that they have recently hunted that were meant for charity now points to speedy and ga they prevent people from killing endangered animals or large animals um that are you know miracles of nature um unfortunately these people do capture these animals and take them out of their natural habitat to go somewhere with them but as i said in the summary someone is using these men they're like yeah we're all great friends let's go on a treasure hunting trip once these people grab all these like animals and and artifacts he's like now they're mine gotcha suckers and green arrow and speedy stop them from uh doing this because you know charity is a good thing and it's the 1960s and we're not thinking about conservationism Um, I would also like to point out during the story, while they're trying to help their friends safely and humanely procure a rhino from, uh, like, a sort of Serengeti sort of a situation, they have arrows that uh, inflate rubber uh, versions of themselves, and I'm like, that is the most complicated and probably weighty arrow that you have. (laughs) So they shoot these arrows, they land, and immediately... uh, inflate rubber balloon versions of green arrow and speedy that from afar i guess look like them and would not you know up close they don't pass muster but i guess you know criminals are really bad at that in the dc universe they'd be like oh my god those balloon those wacky wavy inflatable flailing superheroes over there must really mean business let's hightail it out of here (laughs) 
I mean, the, I think the thing of it is, like, it works fine for a rhino because I oh, sure. not the best. Uh, but it is one of the arrows that feels the most bespoke. Yeah. That this is just for this situation. This is, and, yeah, this is bat yeah, shark I'll repellent. Thoughts. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, at yes. The, at, the, at, at its most finest. Um, world's finest, number 121, November 1961. A cop who is scared of cats is exploited by criminals who are like, oh, he's scared of cats? Let's just carry cats around with us. And he'll freak out. We could steal shit on his, his patrol beat. Um, GA and Speedy use a quote-unquote cat arrow to help with this. And I will say this. This is also another incredibly bespoke arrow for this specific situation. Um, they do talk about how they've recently fabricated it. So it's got a plastic cat on the end of this arrow with inside the cat is a whistle that makes the sound of a cat. Kind of like those Nerf footballs that would like whistle when you threw them. I imagine this cat has something similar inside of it to make a noise. So it's kind of a... Me- Doppler cat? A Doppler cat, yes. <laughs> and... Uh, they use it to like hit the criminals in the back that he's trying to like arrest, and they're like, "Oh my god, that cat came out of nowhere!" <laughs> and um, he arrests the criminals, and he's like, "Thanks, GA." And they're like, "Yeah, hey, maybe don't be scared of cats." And he's like, "Yeah, you're right, I'm not anymore." And then like immediately befriends a cat. It's great. It's such a weirdly wholesome story. Um, World's finest number one twenty two, December nineteen sixty one. The Booby Trap Bandits, not to be confused with Booby Trap Bagley. <laughs> from martian manhunter <laughs> i remember some oh, wow, yeah. really weird obscure <laughs> character i was like there's got like we've had weird booby trap in the name of a character before and it was booby trap bagley i didn't even have to look at my notes for that that was how oh, wow. that was how much it stuck out in my head um Whew. the booby trap bandits are i mean you guessed it guys who use booby traps to to either kill or commit crimes and they try to do this with green arrow and it doesn't work what a surprise here we are much more decades later with the character still alive and well um world's finest number 123 february 1962 a man who can foretell danger is exploited by a crooked reporter um, so essentially this man hears a buzzing noise when danger is about to occur. And every time he calls the police, a reporter who's there to get like scoops for what new thing is going to happen ends up telling his criminal buddies, hey, the cops are going to be over here. Why don't we go over there? And uh, GA and Speedy figure this out after having to split up to stop the disaster and follow this criminal. And they meet up in the middle and they stop him. And life's pretty great. So that is... Uh the end, uh, by the way, I didn't say it, but Happy New Year, World's Finest, number 123, February 1962. Um, that's the end of our summary coverage for these stories. Obviously, like I said, very short, sweet, simple, to the point. However, I think the problem with these, kind of like you said, is that they, they don't have a supporting cast. So it's just GA and just Speedy. We're also not spending any time with them. So if, in looking at the other books that have sidekicks, Aquaman... Um, and Batman. There would be lots of times where you would specifically focus on a story with Robin or Aqualad. Like, Aqualad having to go to school. This story's about Aqualad acting really strange. Why is he acting strange? Robin, you know, uh, having to go to school. Robin's parent, or what was it? Those, those, like his aunt and his uncle coming to try and take him away. We have stories that flesh these characters out. Now, the only story we ever had with Roy was learning his backstory. Which is fine. And I mean, we need to know that, you know, and Aqualad and Robin both had those. Even uh, Wally had that. Now, 
I think the only reason I'm not including Wally in these comparisons is because Wally never appears alongside Flash. His stories are specifically treated like Wonder Girl stories. He is his own entity. Should he ever have to show up for to with Flash, it is not the focus of the story. Rarely does Kid Flash interact with Flash Prime or the or the proper you know adult version of the Flash. Now, when you look at sidekick situations like Green Arrow and Speedy, Aquaman and Aqualad, Batman and Robin, there's a little bit more interplay. We see um, Aqualad and, and uh, Aquaman like delivering newspapers or you know doing stuff like let's open an underwater hospital together or let's see whose creatures we can command the most to you know beat these Olympics or um, Batman and Robin are you know, hanging out, always doing stuff. They're going on trips. Occasionally we see that with Speedy and Oliver, like the treasure hunting thing is they both go on this treasure hunting cruise together with their friends, but we're not really seeing a lot of what Roy and Ollie do in their downtime. Apparently Roy lives with Ollie, like we'll say that, but we don't see any of them hanging out. Like we don't know what the arrow cave looks like, not like, you know, we do with the bat cave. We don't really know anything about Ollie's house. Ollie has no romantic interest. Which is a very significant thing. I mean, Aquaman and Oliver don't have romantic interests. I wouldn't say Aquaman is the weaker for it because his stories are much longer and more exciting and more adventurous. But I will say that I think Oliver not having one stops him from being more of a fleshed out character. All he is is just a guy who stops crimes dressed like Robin Hood. Now, we will say, these are fine stories. They're not bad. They're not terrible in any way. I mean, like, they're they're not as bad as Martian Manhunter stories. Martian Manhunter stories seem to be needlessly overwrought. Because they have to, like, figure out his powers. And, oh, he's got a weakness and it's fire. And Ollie doesn't have that. These are short, sweet, to-the-point stories. His biggest challenges are when... The bad guys have something that he has to figure out how to arrow. You know, how do I shoot this with a bow and arrow? How What arrow do I need to make to deus ex machina this problem away? And that's really the, the hardest thing. Now, because he's so un, not fleshed out, I don't really have a problem with this. Because he's already so flat. He has, like he is. Yeah. There's already nothing there. So making these stories short and sweet isn't a detraction from him. It's just you're, you're you're boring, so your stories are boring. He's a better character when he has time to breathe, uh, i.e. the Justice League stories. Now, he's not doing anything particularly spectacular there or stand out in those stories either, mind you. Like, he's being just as much of Batman as he is in these comics. But at least he's interacting with a team and he seems more exciting because something else is happening beyond him just stopping crooks. Uh, the story where he was wrongfully accused showed that he was smart enough to understand how things work. His first appearance was also a good indicator that Ollie can hang. You know, he can hang with the with, with the big leaguers. But uh, no Thomas Kalmaku, no uh, Iris West, no um, Alfred, no like Doiby Dickles or Jimmy Olsen character. He's just, it's it's just a... A man and his sidekick. Stopping crimes. It's the same premise as Martian Manhunter. A man, you know, mm-hmm. a man against evil. A, 
you know, a cop searching for answers who just happens to be a Martian. You know, that's they're they're very f- flat. They're not necessarily bad, but they're also nothing that I'd be like you really need to read Green Arrow comics because you don't. He's a better character when he's with the ensemble cast and even then he's a little bit more effective than Batman. But he's got a jet, he's got a car, he's rich, and he's got a young sidekick. He's just Batman but green and instead of bat, you know, etc., bat madlib it's the boxing glove arrow, the boomerang arrow, the donut arrow, the whatever arrow. You know, it's every, you know, the cat arrow that we made specifically for this. You know, the aeroplane has like an automated uh, arrow shooting thing on it that holds their bow and arrow. It's ridiculous. Like, And it's not as stupid when you think of how contrived all the bat gear gets in the same era. It's just like, yeah, man, that's what you got to do. You got to... You gotta come up with weird shit like this because these stories otherwise are just boring. Did you have anything that you noticed with these or similar vein? Similar vein, like, there are a couple different angles that I'm going to sort of come at this from that ultimately wind up getting to the same place. Uh, to I guess to start at the end point, yeah, I agree with you. There's nothing fundamentally bad about these stories. There are a couple that I took issue with the structure. There were points where it felt it absolutely felt rushed. Uh, they're five and a, five and a half, uh, five and two third pagers. Uh, for context, those are the ones that usually end with a third page advertisement for Tootsie Roll Pops. Uh, yeah. Usually with an entertaining little limerick. Yeah. But the comparison that I keep coming back to is the six issue stories that Aquaman was in. I think it was Detective Comics. The, when we were reading Aquaman stuff that was in Detective specifically, it was those short ones. Uh, the other ones like Showcase and Adventure were longer stories, but there were direct comparisons that we can make uh, with the ones in Detective Comics, and these don't even compare, except that they do. I spent a while trying to quantify, like, what was it that kept hitting me what what is the big difference between uh those ones which we enjoyed and these which we were very met on and there isn't a quantifiable difference it's looking at like trick powers like here is something where what what bullshit is aquaman slash green arrow going to pull out this time is some power that we haven't seen a whole bunch in the case of Aquaman, like uh, power's not the right word, but use of animals. Like uh, this time he's got whales uh, making a landing strip as compared to, hey, I have sawfish and they're going to cut, which we've seen a zillion times. It's got about the same amount of those like new trick things as new trick arrows. That's not the difference there. It's not the amount of like combat encounters that happen. It's not even like the pacing of, hey, a new trick gets rolled out and how quickly that happens. Because uh, the thing that stands out for me in these is the panels where 
Ollie will be doing one thing. Uh, he'll have he'll be pulling out the the miniature something arrow that he can fire to attract attention uh, to distract the guards while uh, Roy is using the acetylene torch arrow to cut their way out. And that's in the same panel, like two pull it out your ass arrows in a single panel. But Aquaman did the same thing when it's like, and I'll have those uh, those whales attack that thing while these octopi help grapple it from the side. It's not that that's different. It's that even when we're dealing with pull it out your ass cool like gimmicks, we come back to what we talk about talked about with Aquaman last time that or time before last that fish and animals are cooler than arrows. And it's, they're also a little more grounded. Like, nobody's saying that these are puzzles. Like, neither Aquaman or Green Arrow stories have been puzzles that you can, like, solve. Uh, oh, here are these things in the environment and use key on door situation. It's not that. It's not use electric eel on computer panel. It's either side. They're pulling out random things from nowhere. But at least with animals, it's like with civilization versus like a sci-fi civ game where if it's real, it's grounded and it's, oh yeah, I guess I guess there are electric eels in the sea. And electric eels are just cooler than an electric arrow. I'm, I'm just going to make that statement. The other angle to take from this is, so there's the gimmick stories, which is kind of what I'm classifying this and Aquaman as versus the the puzzle room stories which is kind of what I'm arbitrarily calling like Wonder Girl stories I think of especially as oh the things were set up in the environment and oh they escaped from this giant monster and then now they're being attacked by a giant clam and oh we can have we can lure the giant monster to attack the clam and that will solve the problem those have the advantage like, I like that kind of storytelling more generally. Uh, it takes more work than just gimmicks. But what I come back to is that there are these different types. And the best comparison is to Aquaman and the gimmick stuff. But it falls short even there, even though it's fundamentally the same kind of thing. It's not the other kind of story. It's just an uninteresting version of gimmick stories. Hmm. It's the adage that we have with, with characters who don't have powers. You're kind of ineffective when you fight giant monsters next to somebody who can punch a planet, someone who can block bullets with her wrists, a person who can summon whales, a guy who can make constructs that look like anything, and a person who can run super speed, and an alien who can do all of that. So these and Batman stories have to end up working much harder to be interesting. Because if you're reading the entire DC line... You're seeing things that are way cooler mm -hmm. and more compelling and more action-packed. And it's very obvious to see how this character gets his revamp. You know, this and Batman. Batman goes to be the Dark Knight character. Green Arrow turns into what he turns into, the guy with the goatee who's the, you know, the Democratic rabble-rouser who gets paired with, you know, the right-wing, you know, soldier boy of Green Lantern. Those characters who, you know... Green Lantern doesn't really change all that much over the course, you know, of who he is, just that they just flesh him out more. Same thing with Flash. But the guys who have the least, the least dynamic stories have to go through dramatic revamps. Yeah. Um, 
I'm trying to figure out when Hard Traveling Heroes came out, because that's got to be coming up. I will say this. In the back of this book, this this book ends in 1969. So he, sto- he doesn't get his... Mm-hmm. He doesn't get a, a full book, and he stops showing up in World's Finest in... 1964 he stops having a solo story then he starts showing up in the brave and the bold in 1967 once and then shows up again in 1969 those stories specifically the 1967 and 1969 version are robin hood goatee green arrow yeah i think it was 67 that there was the the visual revamp that neil adams did yeah somewhere around there you know, you gotta you gotta revamp him. You gotta make him something different. Yeah, and I'm looking at this date now. Like, I think that book must stop like right before uh, the hard traveling hero stuff of Green Green Arrow, Green Lantern, because that's April of 1970. So we're like fundamentally, we're like what seven years away from a complete revamp of this character and. Like, I cannot imagine that story happening in the DC of this time. No. We're just not there yet. We talked a little bit about how there's such a rotating door of writers. Um, I want to reframe it a little bit. I kind of feel like this; these stories are afterthoughts. The fact that they have different writers going on, and not just like one writer takes it for a chunk and then it switches over to somebody else. Like, we have two stories written by Ed Heron and then two by Dave Wood and then it just switches around by people there uh, going back to Dave Wood later on as well it I think a lot of the issues with this can be explained by or explained away at least by this not being anybody's priority like I don't know to what degree placement within a book matters but these are the last stories in the comics that they're in it's World's finest, like the actual team up uh, between Batman, Superman, and usually Robin. Uh, and then it's Billy Tomorrow, I think is the name, like a sci-fi stories. And then, and then Green Arrow. Oof. It's, and it would explain why the stories aren't usually like the stories aren't structured in a complicated way, I guess. Like they usually have like a solid, oh, th- three times the charm kind of structure, but they're not they're not the puzzle box situations they're not they're relying on the gimmicks i wonder if that's one of the reasons that they can that they rely so heavily on gimmicks is because you don't have to think as much if it's just what what would be crazy what would be interesting to throw in front of them a random situation and what kind of tech would get them out of it and they've got it cool done move on yeah it's very it's very plot device yeah I absolutely have, like, these arrows are purpose of plot. Mm -hmm. Everything that they have is specifically designed to solve the problem as quickly as possible, and no one needs to think about it any further. Yeah, it's it's almost strange to see arrows, like, reappear. Like, there were a couple times going through where it's like, oh, that's an arrow that's not going to show up again. Okay, maybe they actually do use the handcuff arrow a couple times. I will call out, though, for all the shit that I am giving like the gimmickry. I really liked the plastic disc arrow <laughs> where instead of like getting in contact with the chief of police or anybody to change like 
do the thing that actual emergency vehicles do when they're on a chase or trying to get somewhere in a hurry, like of having the traffic light grid change in appropriate way to make it so that the emergency vehicle can get there faster. Instead, they fire arrows, two arrows, one to cover up the green light or and then one to put the red light in place or vice versa, depending on what they need. And it's just, first off, can't, I just can't like that idea. <laughs> so, second off, yes. Third off, what about the other three lights? Yeah. Who else is stopping? It's, it's a four-way intersection. <laughs> yeah. It's sure is a thing. Fundamentally, I, I spent a while going through, like, trying to find something interesting to say about these. And honestly, I think we've kind of said most of what can be said. They're bland. They're they're not bad. They're just bland. Yeah, and I think something that I also want to talk to or, or speak to regarding uh, the sidekick, regarding Roy, um, mm-hmm. we don't see them talking to each other in a denigrating way. Like, it is very yes. much Roy is Ollie's partner. They They do this together. And I think that's because of the way Roy joined him. Um, it was, in a sense, a tryout multiple times. And because of that, I think Ollie treats him much more like an equal. Not like his young ward. He's not going like, you gotta go to school, Roy. He's like, nope, you uh, you, you shot a bunch of arrows and you helped me catch a criminal. You're in, kid. You know, there's no, there's no parenting. It's, we're two guys who happen to live together and you're just so happen to be like 14 i think that's the other key thing there is he is drawn as like somewhere between young adult and like mid-range teen yeah like he definitely looks 14 he is not drawn childishly he doesn't look like robin he certainly doesn't look like superboy uh yeah he also doesn't look like aqualad and i think that's also something something to think about too is that wally as Kid Flash seems to be incredibly capable in and of himself that in at, in Blue Valley, you know, Barry never visits him unless he really needs some help. Hey, I'm going to go do a thing. I need you to cover for me. Got it. It kind of speaks to the fact that both Wally and Roy are older characters than mm-hmm. Dick and Garth. They're, they're much more adult in the sense that Roy is treated like a partner instead of a instead of a young ward. And Wally is left to kind of just do his own thing. You know, Barry hardly ever like shows up and he's like, now I'm going to teach you how to use your speed force. Now I'm going to show you how to do this properly and how to be a real hero. It's like Wally has that figured out. Wally's doing it all on his own. He's not making any mistakes from what we can tell. He's just being a superhero. And Roy is just along for the ride with these adventures because he proved that he was good enough. Whereas Batman's like, Swear an oath, and I'm going to show you how to be as good a crime fighter as me because you and I get each other. And you have to go to school, and I'm going to be sad when I, when your you know when your family comes to try and take you away, because they do love each other. They're family. Him and him and Dick and Alfred are a family. And Garth choosing to live with Arthur is a surrogate father thing. They are young man and and, and mentor. You know, they, they, they take care of each other. It's a very similar relationship to Roy and Ollie. But we don't see Roy, you know, dressing up the arrow 
cave to make it homey for Ollie, mm. like Garth did for Arthur. You know, they're, they're just, they live together and they do work together and that's, and it's cool and it's not a big deal versus like Garth wants to make Arthur happy. There doesn't seem to be any real connection between Roy and, and Ollie other than this is what I want to do. And you're the guy who's doing it. So I'm going to do it with you. So to some degree, we're going to have an Ouroboros situation or chicken, the egg situation of drawn young versus teen does that influence the way that they're written of being more that like mentee slash partner role uh but a thing that occurred to me just now one of the roles that robin plays and to a good degree uh garth plays as well is the guy who says wow the person who is the stand-in for the emotion of whoa that the author is trying to inspire in the reader especially right now when there are so many like of the sci-fi stories or the the crazy monsters from the deep uh in aquaman compare in those stories the gimmick the thing that's interesting and weird is happening from outside it is the antagonist or at least the environment compare that to uh, the Green Arrow stories, where the the interesting and weird is the arrows. The heroes are the ones who have control of the weird, so it wouldn't make sense for Roy to be the one going, wow, so you don't have a need of a childish, childlike character. So I wonder if that is a feature that doesn't push them to be younger, or push doesn't push the creative team to write or draw Roy as though he is younger. Yeah, he doesn't come across as the kid analog. Oh, yeah. You know, he comes across as a partner, but he just happens to be young. And I think that's really interesting mm -hmm. because that's kind of their dynamic as time progresses and we retell these stories again and again and we kind of retcon certain things. Roy is always the older of the Teen Titans. So the other thing I'll throw out there is I think the one of the reasons that he has maintained that ever since in the, moder in the various retellings might be because the story he's best known for is uh, it, Snowbirds Don't Fly, I think is the name of it. Correct, yeah. But also, yeah. he's old enough to for that to be a problem for him. He's old enough to be exposed to heroin, you know, versus Dick wouldn't be. He is kind of frozen in time as that, like, older teens. Yeah, that, we, yeah, that weird... It's hard to imagine him as younger. Yeah, the weird sophomoric, maybe I'm 15, 16. You're not quite sure but I'm definitely older than Robin and Flash is maybe a little bit younger than me kind of a thing. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting to, when we get to Teen Titans to just be like, okay, what exactly is your dynamic as a group? Because yeah. you really all don't have personalities. <laughs> and I think that's the thing is that even the adults don't have that much of a personality except maybe Hal. And his personality shines through when he's trying to, you know, flirt with his boss. So it's going to be fascinating to watch them be written, hopefully not like just young versions of their adult counterparts. Yeah. And when they will start to have characterization of their own. Um, but it just it's, it's very interesting to kind of see different approaches to the same formula. Like, like I was saying, mm -hmm. this is just a non-Golly G-Wiz version of Batman and Robin. And, and, I, and I think you're absolutely correct 
and and the reasoning is because the exotic fantastical thing is coming from the heroes to stop the bad guys and the bad guys are doing the wow factor while the heroes are just like nah this is what we do of course we know we have boxing glove arrows we made them and when it comes to like you said you know aqualad or robin you know robin like that one time when they were doing the the heist of the people who were you know cosplaying they were larping being batman and robin and batman and robin and superman stumbled upon that in world's finest and robin was like we're never gonna get out of here man i'm freaking out we're stuck in a cage we're never gonna get out and like batman was like dude calm down we're with superman and superman like bent the bars really easily and he was like wow that's crazy versus like roy would be like come on i've got an arrow that does this you distract the guards he seems more proactive he seems more down for this type of life mm-hmm. like this is this is exactly where he wants to be man right in the right in the thick of it there really isn't any desire on the part of the creative team to have any confusion or unpreparedness or uncertainty the from the heroes the heroes really are just completely confident start to finish it, there are times where they're like well we we didn't get the ape but we'll get him next time. Yeah. There's never any doubt. And there's no there's no detective work like in Batman. Yeah. There's no um doing something else that then leads to finding like like you know how in Martian Manhunter will he'll like be at the circus and then someone will be like, "Hey, that's that's Detective John Jones. Let's go get him." And then he has to Martian Manhunter his way out of a situation because mm-hmm. Oliver and Roy are such non-characters. We don't yeah. we don't have the opportunity for exotic situations to influence the plot. It is just criminal, then they show up, they get bested but once, and then they best the criminal. How do I fit that in six pages? And it's yeah. it's crazy that like this is this is like this character for a long time, for years. Fifty nine to sixty four. That's five years, this is it for him. And then they're like, We're gonna revamp you completely in one year. When we have the time in another year, we're going to revamp, we're going to, we're going to continue this thread. Again, I wonder if it's the idea that they don't know what to do with Batman characters when they're not Batman. You know, with Batman, it's like, hey, we've been doing this for decades. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. He's got a kid. He's got a butler. Um, they have Bat Tech. They've got a colorful cast of villains. Because, like, not one memorable villain. Mm-hmm. Not a single yeah. named villain. Not a single, like, costumed villain. None of that. None of that garbage. Like, even Martian Manhunter had the guy with, like, the hawk mask at one point. Yeah. You know? The closest we get, I think, is the booby trap guy. Yeah, and they've got a theme. Like, that could just... No rogues. Yeah, I mean, that could just very well be a gang of arsonists. You know, like, it's... You know, having having an MO doesn't necessarily make you a supervillain group. It just means you're organized. And you have a a fetish. (laughs) You know? So I think it's very interesting that, you know, Martian Manhunter has also had, like... Martians show up and you can play around with the fact that he has a backstory of, you know, wanting to get back to Mars. Green Arrow is just a dude. Green Arrow is quite possibly the most golden age character amongst all these Silver Age characters in that he is just a guy doing a thing. He's very much like Sandman. Yeah, that is the best comparison. He's a rich guy stopping crimes with gadgetry because he can. And it's it's really weird of all the characters to be this disappointing it's him because he becomes mm-hmm. green arrow i mean got his own television show for god's sakes like he's also gone through so many transformations later in comics like he, there's clearly a a love for this character from a lot of different people 
because they spend so much time revamping him, trying to make him work. If they didn't, they just treat him like Martian Manhunter and they'd be like, ah, we'll come back to him in a couple of years. You know, and that's really what ends up happening with a lot of these characters that don't sell well. Like, but for some reason, we keep coming back to the guys, the rich, the rich white guys with gadgets. How can we make this work this time around? And it's, I, I don't know if that's a theme that DC somehow has um, or you know, just something that's subconscious within their company. But it, it's it always fascinates me to see the guys who get revamps who also come out much better, who also have this this cult following because of, oh, I like him because he doesn't have powers. There's like 12 of him, man. Pick one. <laughs> like Blue Beetle, Green Arrow, Batman. They're all the same. They just have different gimmicks. But what about Green Arrow was worth saving? Anyhow. Uh, if, if that is the case, I believe we can move soundly on to recommendations. So on my end, this is a, a recommendation with a disclaimer, an an introduction, if you will. Um, so there is a group, I think at university of Michigan called star kid, and they do, um, Various musicals. I think they're they're best known for. I think it's uh, a very Potter musical. Oh yeah, like I think I've heard of that. Yeah, uh, and I think they might have done a couple of those. And uh, my girlfriend and I watched two of their more recent ones over the past week. Uh, we watched Twisted and uh, Holy Batman Musical. I think uh, is the name of the other one. Something like that. Uh, and. Both of them are worth a watch. Uh, musically, like they are very talented. They have good musical numbers. Uh, there is some good inventiveness and some good characterness in all of them. Uh, Twisted is the one that I will recommend more because Holy Musical Batman is a little bit more of a, hey, what if Batman were just a shitty rich guy who uh, is spending his money to make himself feel better instead of actually making the city better? It's a little more of that. Twisted I kind of went in thinking that was going to be the angle. It is the story of Aladdin from the perspective of Jafar. And I want to be clear, it's not that. It's more like Wicked in the sense that it is the story doesn't turn out the same way. The characters are emphatically different people. Aladdin is a shit stain. And it's not just, oh, like, Oh yeah, well he was running away from the uh, from the guards, like he was uh, doing all that destruction in the marketplace of Agrabah. It is important to view that as actually this is a different story, and take it on that merit. Hmm. And then the music itself is great; it's a spectacular musical, great vocal work. Uh, but once I got that in my head, it was very very good and emotionally touching, and I recommend it. That's interesting. That's that- on YouTube. Okay. That's interesting that you have to kind of like put yourself in that mindset, kind of like Wicked, where it's not exactly the Wizard of Oz. It's just a different sort of version of it, of said yep. thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned this to, to Matt earlier uh, before we started recording, but I'm going to do a shameless self-plug for my recommendation. Go read my comic. Um, go to www.veritascomic.com, V-E-R-I-T-A-S-C-O-M-I-C.com. Uh, issue five of my comic is starting to come out right now. Uh, that means there are four completely free issues that you can read. And then you can tweet me, email me, um, message me on some form of social media and be like, yo, this is either really great or uh, I hate you and stop making stuff. Either way, I'm not going to stop uh, because this is what I love doing and I love it. And it's so great and it's fun and I'm really proud of the work that I'm doing. Um, but yeah, I think... I think I'm really having a lot of fun doing this, and I would really uh, love to share it with all of you. Um, 
This is also a lazy, shameless plug that uh, indicates that I didn't really have anything to recommend <laughs> other than my Sometimes own work. there are weeks like that, man. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, oh, actually, you know what? Uh, I will recommend Between the Sheets. Um, it is the Critical Role Channel's mm. sort of like Inside the Actor's Studio interview series that they do that brian foster conducts and they are really beautiful really touching really well made um some incredible incredible interviews with people who work in the video in the video game industry as voice actors television industry uh director of photography the guy who writes primarily uh for dungeons and dragons um Ashley Birch was on um talking about like uh life is strange and horizon zero dawn um, so it's some really, really great interviews if you haven't watched them. They're really um, well done. They'll make you cry because there's some really deep and interesting topics spoken about. And they make you think. So uh, go watch those. But before you do that, go read my comic. I'll know if what order you do it in. I'll know. <laughs> just just, just know that, that, that I'll know. Um, but on that note, guess what, kids? We're going to Green Lantern next. Oh, thank God. And then it's then it's Flash. And then it's Justice League. And then the cycle starts again. But then the multiverse exists. And we can talk about yes. that. So, buckle up. It's going to be great. I'm excited. I, I don't know if you can hear how excited I am, but I'm excited. And uh, this is going to be great. I'm excited. I'm just so happy. I'm so happy that we're going to be covering these two things. It's been such a long time coming. We've waited. We've waited forever to do this. And it's going to be fun. God, I hope it's good. <laughs> oh, man. That's the terrifying thing. Is yeah. What happens if it stops looking like a romance comic? Oh, man. I, or either of them. I hope, I hope Flash of Two Worlds is great. Oh, yeah. Shit, man. There's so many things could go wrong. <laughs> so many things could happen between now and then. We'll find out uh, next time on Dragon Ball Z. Uh, but until then, be good to each other. And we'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Emerald Archer and Speedy fell flat for us on this visit. They hardly had any time to answer our questions as they were too preoccupied with their duties. In fact, it seemed like that was all they were interested in, having very little else to divert their attention or give them character. We figured some sun would do us good, so we booked tickets for Coast City, to check in with the Interplanetary Gladiator of the Green Lantern Corps.